Hello and welcome to the Rooted by the River podcast, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. I am Braylon Lashley, one of the pastors here at First Baptist, and I am joined by my distinguished co-host, senior pastor, Dr. Andrew Bosek. Distinguished, man. I like that, and I appreciate that very much. How you doing today, bro? I'm good, man. I know we were discussing briefly before how cold it is in this room. It's a little bit chilly up here. We are recording in uh, one of the few conference rooms here at First Baptist Church, and yeah, it's May 2nd, and uh, it's chilly outside and a little bit chilly in here, but we will push through and brave the weather for the sake of our church and our recording. But uh, but yeah, man, it's May 2nd. It's cold outside. It's your first spring here in Tennessee. How you feeling about the weather so far? Yeah, it's uh, definitely a conundrum. You know, growing up in North Alabama, I'm used to these seasonal changes. But, you know, uh, Becca is struggling quite a bit because in Florida, you have one season and then one or two weeks of slightly less season, so to speak. So it's definitely a challenge. It's something to get used to. But man, it it is definitely a, a conundrum and it throws you for a loop when you walk out the door in the morning. Yeah, you're expecting spring and you get that second and third iteration of winter. Got to go back in and get that coat and prepare for the wind and the cold that that is the spring here in west tennessee but uh regardless of the weather joy filled nonetheless and excited to be recording our second podcast i do have a a question right off the bat for you how many of these do you think we're going to need to do before uh we aren't cracking up as we begin recording will we mature through this at all Lord, uh, Lord willing, we will definitely mature through this, but, uh, when I you said, still... Lord, I thought you were about to pray. <laughs> <laughs> we probably uh, should Lord, pray help that. us, help us so much. Uh, I, I think that we will mature, but, uh, as I am doing right now and you are doing as well, we are not looking at each other because if we look at each other, then we will crack up and, you know, all will be lost. So we'll make it through though, man, all this serious Bible talk and discussion, uh, understanding Greek words, all this stuff we're getting to, and we can't even look at each other when we record. But hey, we're we're working on it. We're praying through it. And uh, hopefully our second uh, podcast will be as uh, much of a blessing uh, for us as the first one. We really enjoyed it, and we are excited about what the Lord uh, is going to do through these podcasts for sure, man. So we started last uh, last podcast with some uh, podcast and book recommendations. Uh, you listening to anything new, reading anything new, any anything to add to that here um, on this particular uh, recording? So I actually uh, started listening to the podcast that you recommended last week. Uh, really nice. Um, I had not peruse those before. Uh, as far as podcasts, there's not uh, much more that I would want to recommend. I do have uh, three book recommendations that are actually pretty good. The first one is Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig. He is an apologist and evangelist, and he is a uh, very just eloquent in his speech, brilliant mind on uh, conveying Christian truths uh, in a logical consistency. And uh, so he writes uh, this book called Reasonable Faith, um, talking about the Christian faith being a logical, being reasonable, uh, and 
it is something that engages the mind. So he goes through several different facets of the Christian faith, uh, primarily uh, why we should believe in God, the existence of God, uh, the different arguments associated with that, uh, and then uh, the problem of miracles and the logical consistency there. And then he ends, I believe, with uh, examples and evidences for the resurrection of Christ, which, as we both know, is the uh, essential truth to the Christian faith, because without it, our faith would be futile. So that's the first one that I really enjoyed. The second one is this, uh, Portraits of a Pastor by Jason Allen. Is my picture in there? It should be. Yeah, <laughs> it's on the back. It referenced Portraits of a Pastor. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's it. But uh, this one is good for uh, two main audiences. The first one is the the pastor itself. Um, we are called to a specific standard, and uh, unfortunately, we know that uh, a lot of pastors nowadays don't hold to those standards, and so we are praying that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would adhere to those qualifications, that we would be the men that God has called us to be. And so those chapters are broken out into several different facets of the pastor. So uh, the pastor's a shepherd, a husband, and a father, uh, a preacher, a theologian, a church historian, an evangelist, a missionary, a leader, and a man of God, all important uh, facets of being a pastor that is called to the gospel ministry. The other target audience is for those that are seeking a Bible, uh, a Bible or biblically true, doctrinally sound church. What does your pastor look like? If you're looking for a church, what does your pastor look like? And you might be in a church as well, and you say, "Okay, well, my pastor doesn't have these qualifications." That's something to seriously consider as we seek to uh, be Christ's followers and adhere to his word. The ones leading us should be uh, examples and should have the qualifications given. And if they're lacking, those those are serious uh, things to consider as to whether to stay in that church or not. So that's uh, that's my second one. I know that was a lot. Sorry about it. My last one is by uh, Costi Hinn. You know, I'm a big fan of Costi Hinn for the gospel. Um, he wrote a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. And uh, that is something that has infiltrated the church. Nowadays, God just wants you to be healthy and wealthy and rich and prosperous, right? He just wants to bless you. And uh, so he came out of the Benny Hinn Ministries that was, uh, or that is his uncle, and uh, he tells how he came out of that, uh, for lack of a better term, cultic kind of uh, doctrine, and how he has uh, just seen God move in his life. So those are the three that I would recommend, Reasonable Faith, Portraits of a Pastor, and God, Greed. And the prosperity gospel. What you got over there? Cool. Yeah, man, that's a good one for sure. And yeah, let me circle back, man. The portraits of a pastor book. I was gonna ask about the relevance, you know, for listeners that aren't pastors. And yeah, I think it's so important for folks who are looking for churches to to be prayerful and uh, to take the 
qualifications for elders that are, are given in Scripture seriously. And yet at the same time, we want to be careful uh, to not have that critique mindset, but a, a prayerful mindset. If that pastor has taken those elder qualifications seriously, if uh, pastors are on a journey of sanctification just like anyone else, and uh, there's no perfect pastor, there's no perfect church, and yet at the same time, we should take what the Scripture says a pastor should be seriously. And uh, I know for me, and, and I think I could speak for you as well, we take those qualifications seriously and yet humbly as realities to pursue and to live out for the glory of God. So those are, are great books, man, and, and certainly encouraging for those, uh, that particular book, uh, encouraging for those maybe looking for a church. Absolutely. And yeah, man, uh, I actually just finished up a book, uh, maybe a little less spiritual in nature than the ones that you were reading. But uh, for those that, that know me at all, know I love The Lord of the Rings. I love The Hobbit. I enjoy uh, Tolkien's writing. And I read a book recently called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. And uh, it's uh, from Joseph LeConte, and he wrote basic, uh, biographically about Lewis and about Tolkien, about their time serving uh, in the military during the First World, World War, and about how both of them saw uh, fighting and uh, were involved in battles, and how that experience really impacted them personally, uh, both in their faith and uh, in their writing, their perspective of, of God and redemption and the problem of evil. So I, I highly recommend that book. It's a great read uh, for those who are fans of Lewis, uh, fans of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, and uh, certainly Tolkien and The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, I think, would particularly love that book. But I enjoyed it, informative, and uh, certainly um, faith-filled, talking about how, how both men love Jesus and how that impacted their writing as well. That's great. That's great. I am also a fan of Tolkien and Lewis and such great word pictures of Christian truths and things to uh, con to consider, really. So that's fantastic. I, I love it. Uh, so we're going to transition here to uh, pretty much the main reason why we started this podcast, an overview of the text from Sunday. This past Sunday, we talked, or you did rather, I didn't talk. You're welcome. You sang. Hey, before, but speaking of singing, and right before we get into the sermon, let me ask you, uh, we do something a little bit uh, different here. Uh, we do uh, a song of the month. You introduce new music uh, to the church, and we sing that song every Sunday of a, the particular month. So here we are uh, on the doorstep of the first Sunday in May. And uh, man, I want to ask you, before you start asking me some questions about the sermon, I want to ask you, uh, number one, what is the song of the month? And then talk some more about the reasons for uh, your choice there, what the truths are. Uh, tell me what the song of the month is, and then then talk to me about uh, why we're singing it. We are going to do The Lord's Prayer by Matt Marr. And uh, really, uh, we've seen great success with song of the month. We really want to sing firstly, to the glory of God, but we want to sing doctrinally sound, theologically rich, truthful songs that are not shallow. They are uh, vivid and, uh, for lack of better term, colorful in uh, expressing our thanks and gratitude towards God. Here, uh, we're going to do the Song of the Month, Lord's Prayer by Matt Marr. 
And let me just read you here, coming straight from Scripture, that uh, Jesus teaches on prayer. This is the starting out. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right here in my heart. So it starts with, we desire for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done, firstly, in ourselves. We want to be sanctified by the Word, by the Holy Spirit, moving and illuminating that Word and moving us towards practical application. We want God's will to be done in our life first. Then it moves, as it does in Scripture, to give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, forgive the ones who sinned against us. Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and then moves back into let your kingdom come. It moves from an individual mindset to a corporate uh, group mindset. Give us this day. And then uh, it ultimately uh, pushes towards a big bridge that is declaratory in nature. I had to look that word up to make sure I was correct. It's a great word. It is. Well done. Thank you. It's declaring it's yours. All yours, the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. Forever and ever, the kingdom is yours. And and that's really what we are ultimately saying as a church, as a Christ follower, as a disciple, a learner for Christ. Uh, We want to be changed inwardly, uh, first individually, and then as a church, communally, And we want to declare that as we grow in sanctification, as we do these things to the glory of God, that all the power, all the glory, all the praise, everything belongs to Christ. So that's why we're singing uh, the Lord's Prayer on Sunday. So we're not going to do like, you know, David Phelps does the Lord's Prayer, which is fantastic. Uh, It's going to be a slightly different kind of song. But I, I do want to say that... We are actually not going to debut it this week. Um, We're actually going to be, myself and Becca will be out of town this week. So uh, we will debut it next week. That's right, man. That's right. So whenever I ask you about the schedule, you always remind me that it's on Planning Center. So I probably should have had a look at Planning Center uh, before I said we're going to sing it on Sunday. That's right. Shout uh, out to Planning Center. Yeah, they do a great job, uh, especially when uh, the pastor looks at it. And knows the schedule. But yeah, man, I'm excited for you guys going on vacation and hope you'll have a wonderful time. But man, I I love the, the, not just the information that's going to be included with the song, but the steps that it takes and that, that kind of personal priority, proclaiming that prayerfully in song, then transitioning to how that should be established as a collective, as the church. And that's really kind of what we're trying to uphold in our outreach and our desire to serve like Jesus this entire year, uh, have an individual light, uh, do acts of service for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel as individuals, add your individual light to the the light of the collective, the church that is serving for the glory of God and kind of some bigger uh, corporate opportunities to serve. So it upholds that mentality, declaring uh, the uh, gospel, uh, being declaratory, as you say. Yes, yes. Uh, very nice on your uh, your use of the dictionary there. Well done. 
But yeah, man, thanks for sharing. I'm excited to sing that song, not this Sunday, but the next, and uh, looking forward to uh, just worshiping in that way, man. So that's awesome. And yeah, we're kind of following the order of a church service here, talked, uh, made some uh, maybe uh, announcements, sung a little bit, and now we will uh, we'll take care of the sermon, man. So uh, we're looking forward to that. That's it. Diving in to those uh, deep questions that come inevitably from... Uh, Diving into God's Word, we know that we can't uh, convey all of the truths in one sitting or we would be there for hours and hours, but uh, there were some things that uh, we wanted to highlight further that would be beneficial as people uh, really contemplate those truths during the week. And so this overview uh, of this text here, it's from Matthew 13, 51 through 58. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's just uh, taught them parables, which were these uh, kingdom truths conveyed in uh, earthly uh, examples, lack of a better term. And uh, he is summarizing everything together, and he is asking them a reflective question. Do you understand this? Have you understood the things that... Uh, I have just spoken to you. And then it moves to uh, a recounting of Jesus being rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And there are some truths that you really highlighted there that uh, I think would be really important for us to just uh, overview and um, come back to. So why don't you speak a little bit about that as we dive deeper into Matthew 13. Yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed uh, this sermon and this study. This one was a, a bit of a challenge because I wanted to provide kind of a, a summary of the entire chapter and try to bring together the truths of the parables and how we should live them out together and obviously be faithful to the text. And as God and only His infinite wisdom could do, provided at the end, a, a great example and, and framework of understanding to really capture the previous truths in, in one kind of big picture takeaway mindset. And there's really two divisions of Scripture that we looked at, verses 51 and 52 was one division and really one kind of final parable right after Jesus asks His disciples if they understand. And then verses 53 through 58, which is that account of Jesus being rejected uh, in his hometown of Nazareth. So I, I looked at these two divisions, and the first question I asked myself is, is, are these two divisions related? Is there something that ties them together? And uh, Jesus, again, talked to the disciples first. He asked the question, do you understand? Have you taken in these truths, these previous parables that he taught about into their lives? And then uh, the gospel writer Matthew uh, talks about really the misunderstanding that was taking place in Nazareth. The people there that heard the teaching of Jesus as uh, the, the text transitions, they were asking questions about who Jesus was. Isn't he M Mary's son? Isn't he the, the carpenter's son? How is this person so wise? How, is, how does he understand these deep things about God? So they were expressing misunderstanding about Jesus and that led to their offense and unbelief. So I saw the two parts of the this chapter 
the two divisions related and Jesus affirming the fact that the disciples and, and us needed to understand uh, what he was teaching. And then Matthew, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, covers what happens when somebody doesn't understand. They misunderstood Jesus. That led them to offense at him and then unbelief. So I, we see in this text, I think, a plan provided to us by God on guarding against committing the sin of unbelief. And it begins with understanding and um, given to us negatively in Nazareth, where they misunderstood him, took offense, and committed the sin of unbelief. And then for us, when we do understand, we accept uh, Christ and his work in our life, and we are able to move forward in fruitfulness as a kingdom citizen with a, a full, powerful, fruitful belief. Excellent, excellent. We are really big here, obviously diving deeper into scripture, but also a uh, big word, proper contextualization or using hermeneutical principles to uh, understand the true timeless theological principle held within the scriptures. And, and so part of that is not only looking at the context, which that is uh, the historical context where it was written, the audience, the uh, the writer, the background, how it fits in with other parts of Scripture, all those things that you learn in theology class. It, but it's also diving deeper into the language in which the New Testament was written, uh, that is Koinia Greek. So uh, one particular uh term that you highlighted on Sunday was the term or word understood in the first part of that passage. And I was wondering if you could dive a little bit deeper into the Greek word for understood and how it is uh, relevant to the context and proper understanding of this passage. Yeah, man, I, I do my best to make it a point in my my study and uh, my kind of journey through preparing for a sermon to uh, be faithful to the original language and study it out. Now, I'm not necessarily a Greek scholar, certainly had some Greek classes, which I did a little better in Greek than I did in Hebrew. That whole reading from right to left thing with no vowels kind of threw, threw me off a little bit, but uh, not a Greek scholar, so I have to uh, depend on some good tools and, and other scholars out there that provide us with resources to understand the original language well. And one of the tools that I use uh, the, the most frequently is Blue Letter Bible. Uh, there's a, a website that folks can go to and um, they can check it out. I believe it's blueletterbible.org. It certainly can do a Google search, but they have an app Blue Letter Bible, and I encourage our listeners, if they haven't downloaded that app, to do so. I have communicated and shared this with our church, so many listening in our church uh, know that I, I highly recommend this app. It's a great tool for study, and it provides us some easily accessible information when it comes to the language. So I have my Blue Letter Bible app open. This is about to be some riveting podcast information as I explain what I'm doing to tap away on my phone. But uh, I have my Blue Letter Bible app open, 
and uh, have it open, Matthew 13, 51, what I can do is tap on the particular verse that I want to dive in deeper to uh, the original language with. So I'm going to tap on Matthew 13, 51. Another page comes up at the very top. There is uh, a button uh, that says interlinear concordance, and I'm going to tap on that, and that brings up a breakdown of the verse, and we see the original language there along with the English rendering of the word right beside of it. And the first one that is listed is the word understood. So I'm going to tap on that. And one of the, the coolest features of this is that on the app, the developers included somebody pronouncing the actual Greek word for you, and it's a little speaker icon. So I have the Blue Letter Bible app open. I have the Greek word uh, understood open, and I'm going to tap on the speaker here, and it's going to pronounce it for us. Strong's G, 4920. Suniemi. Suniemi. So you don't have to be a Greek scholar to know the Greek, to be able to uh, pronounce it, suniemi, and understand some realities about the original language. And it's easily accessible, and I encourage everybody to use this tool. It's got commentaries and other wonderful aspects uh, to study with on this particular app. A lot of resources out there, and Blue Letter Bible certainly should be a part of everybody's toolbox. But this Greek word is important for us, and uh, it conveys something so much more than just knowledge. Uh, the, the rendering of it, of it, the specific definition would be to set or to bring together, and uh, the kind of outflow of that is to join together in the mind. And what the Greek word is conveying is that this, this understanding, this question of Jesus to his disciples is, has, has what I have taught you gone beyond just mere knowledge? Have you taken it in? Have you personally applied it? Have you, have you thought about this in terms of your own life is kind of the, the questions that are written between the lines, if you will. And we can see that fleshed out as Jesus followed up that inquiry of, hey, do you understand? Ha have you understood this? Have you taken it in by a call to action? He said that they are now responsible for those truths. Uh, he called them scribes, which we will mention here in just a little bit, I think. But um, are you not just understanding? Are you, are you not just perceiving this truth? Have you done more than take it in mentally? Have you thought about it in terms of your own life? Uh, it's not just a, a perception for knowledge's sake. This is a perception for action. And that Greek word captures all of those thoughts that it's more than knowledge. And that, that, same, uh, that same word is used in Ephesians 5, the, the same Greek word, suniami, is used in Ephesians 5, and I think this upholds kind of the same uh, perspective that we are thinking about, that it's not just for simple knowledge's sake. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, it says, look carefully then how you walk, thinking about how you're living. The word walk there is, is thinking about your behavior, what you are doing, how you are acting. Uh, think about uh, then how you walk, not not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, there it is, suniami, but suniami, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So understand, take in, personally apply the will of the Lord so that you would walk not as unwise, 
but as wise. So the Greek is calling us to do more than just grow in our knowledge, but to take that knowledge, apply it to our lives for the sake of action. That's great. I heard one time that knowledge is the mere collection or gathering of facts. Understanding is gleaning the meaning behind the facts. So as you were saying, how do they practically apply to me? And then wisdom is deciphering, discerning how to convey and practically apply the meaning that you have gathered from those facts. So just spot on when we're talking about the Christ life, those that are in Christ, that knowledge, gathering biblical knowledge is for a purpose. And we see that again highlighted in this passage, that Jesus is uh, purposefully uh, highlighting these truths so to equip his disciples to go and to make other disciples and eventually establish his church. So uh, great, great stuff, great insight. That's something that we're going to try to do uh, from here on out is uh, a Greek of the week, understanding uh, a Greek rendering of a word that most time we just kind of look over and we don't understand the meaning of the word. And it's so important to just dive deeper and to see how it really applies to our life. That it gives us a more robust knowledge um, for practical application. We're going to get to some questions here that came up. You highlighted God's quote unquote fairness on Sunday morning and how we have this common mis- misconception that God has to be fair. So I wonder if you could uh, briefly discuss, or in as much time as you so desire, discuss God's quote-unquote fairness versus his justice. You you say that because you asked me to be brief last week, and the listeners that listened to the fir- first podcast know that I was anything but brief. But I will do my best here on the uh, second episode of uh, Rooted by the River here. But uh, but yeah, man, we so what we did with that plan that we find in the text to guard against committing the sin of unbelief, which again, tying the two divisions of scripture together, verses 51 and 52, 2, 53 and 58, we took this plan of under understanding, acceptance, and belief, and laid it back over some of the previous parables that we preached on uh, in the the Sundays beforehand. So we took that plan and and overlaid it: uh, the parable of the sower, the sower, or the parable of the weeds, and the parable of the treasure. And as we looked back in the text, there was one particular place that pushes back against this common misconception that God is fair. Now, verse 23 says uh, in Matthew 13, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and in another 30. That helps us to grow in our belief because it shows us that God isn't fair as we understand it. We generally think of fairness as sameness. And before I get back into the text and see how that fleshed out, let's think about fairness in a way that I think many listening can relate to. Again, we generally think of 
fairness as sameness. And parents out there uh, probably hear the phrase, that's not fair, multiple times a day. We grow up thinking about fairness this way, and often that, that mindset in our heads about sameness, about fairness, doesn't grow and doesn't change. So there are times where we think about fairness on, on behalf of God related to how a kid uh, might be uh, perceiving chicken nugget dis- distribution. So take one kid who gets four chicken nuggets, and the other kid who is a few years younger gets only three. Well, that younger kid looks at the chicken nugget distribution, one gets four and one gets three, and is going to say, hey, that's not fair. The reality is, is that the the child that's older that got the four chicken nuggets needs more calories, is in a physiological need for more chicken nuggets. The younger child doesn't necessarily need that many calories and will probably have to be threatened with severe punishment to even finish the three nuggets that they have received in the first place. But because the distribution of the nuggets wasn't the same, the younger child fell into the comparison trap and perceived mistreatment. Hey, I didn't receive the same number of chicken nuggets that the sibling received. Because I received less chicken nuggets, I am not necessarily cared for or treated the same. This is not fair. Now, that chicken nugget distribution wasn't fair, but here's the difference. But it was just. It was right and good based upon the needs of the child. The older child needed more nuggets and the younger child didn't. If we take this kind of simple chicken nugget illustration out and broaden it and apply it to our relationship with God, that's when things can go awry. That's when things can go off the rails. Many times that perspective of fairness and sameness between a child and a parent can be translated between a child of God to God. If we're not careful, even if it's a subconscious thing, we can think that God should be fair. We can think that God should be treating me the same that he treats his other children. And we look around and we perceive that God isn't fair. He doesn't treat us the same. There are different people with different amounts of quote-unquote nuggets. <laughs> they have more blessing. There's more or less talent. There's, there's more or less blessings and gifts and fruitfulness. There's different circumstances that we as Christ followers experience. God isn't fair. He treats us differently. But at the same time, we have to recognize that God is just. He recognizes the needs of His children And he operates on the basis of what is best for his individual sons and daughters, those who have been redeemed and brought into the family, been adopted and made his children. So his individual provision might not be necessarily fair as we understand it, not made up of what we would argue needs to be the same if we're not careful, but his individual provision is right and good. He's not fair, but he is just. He doesn't treat us the same. He 
ministers to us according to our needs as individuals. And that text that I read earlier reinforces that truth, that there are some that produce a hundredfold, others 60, and some 30, producing different fruit. So God isn't fair, but he is loving, he is just, and he is good. Yep. It really focuses the Christian on the primary purpose of their life in Christ. It is to be an instrument uh, to promote the glory of God and to be fruitful for him. So the implication of that, if I misunderstand that particular text, and if I do fall into the comparison trap, that misunderstanding is going to lead to offense. And that offense I'm going to take, and I'm going to say, well, man, I'm not treated the same as others. Therefore, that unbelief could creep in, and I could think that, man, God doesn't love me as much as he loves others. But if I understand this text, I accept that God cares for me as an individual, provides for me according to my needs. That's not going to discourage me when I see other uh, Christians, other Christ followers that are in different circumstances, that have different gifts. It's going to reinforce the reality that God cares for each of us as individuals. It will actually be an encouraging thing and build my belief instead of be discouraging and lead to unbelief. That's great. Let's move on to the second question here. We, You talked briefly here uh, about misconceptions, about the promises of God, about the things of God lead to offense, and that offense leads to unbelief, your case in point here, being I didn't understand the the justice and uh, the love of God, and it leads to an offense thinking that God doesn't love me the same as other people, which leads to an unbelievable God. Well, God does, doesn't love me that way. I'm, I'm second rate, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, so, I want you to speak briefly here. What are some common misconceptions that lead to offense and unbelief? Yeah, man, we addressed uh, three of them because, again, we looked back at three of the different parables. I just spoke at one as briefly as I could that God isn't fair. The other two misconceptions that we use the plan that God gives us to overcome unbelief as we applied them to different parables is that uh, one of the common misunderstandings is is love doesn't judge and that uh, Jesus doesn't have to be my priority to live a life of joy. We covered those in the sermon. I certainly encourage those who haven't listened to it to do so, to see how we address those particular misunderstandings and misconceptions. And I'm going to tread into some potentially dangerous waters here with this common misunderstanding or misconception that I want to speak about, and uh, it's one we didn't address on Sunday, but one I think our listeners, who again, as we record, we're thinking about our church, others certainly are welcome and we hope listen, but uh, we we think about those Christ followers uh, that we have the privilege to minister to. One of the common misunderstandings and misconceptions that we want to speak about scripturally and, and yet sensitively is that uh, so many Christians think that that church is about me, 
Now, with all of that said, let me add this caveat before I I launch into this. This isn't some uh, kind of veiled shot at our church, right? I'm not using the podcast as an opportunity uh, to speak about some specific issues that are happening in our church. I'm just simply not doing that. This is a discussion while we're thinking about our church specifically. This is the discussion of uh, the church culture at large. Uh, these are issues that that any church can face and many churches are facing that uh, all Christians need to hear. So again, speaking to the listeners that aren't a member of First Baptist Church, these aren't problems in our church that I'm venting about, taking the opportunity to use the podcast as some kind of bully pulpit. I am certainly not doing that. I am speaking about uh, any church uh, can struggle with this common misunderstanding, including ours, but not thinking about ours specifically. Braylon, does that make sense? Absolutely. All right. Just making sure before I I get into this. But it's a a common misunderstanding that that church is about the individual. This very common consumerism mentality has crept into the pew, as it were. And instead of church being a place where we worship God— a place where we use our spiritual gifts, we grow in the gospel, and instead of church being a light in the community, the considerations of church can become, unfortunately, more self-centered. It's a potential issue when second and third tier issues can become more important to people uh, when they view the church as a consumer. Now again, uh, thinking about this, and I say it that way because these Issues that I'm about to mention are important, but they aren't to be the first-tier considerations when it comes to what church should be like. Things like music style is prioritized rather than musical doctrinal fidelity. The length of the sermon is prioritized rather than the biblical accuracy of the exposition and the spirit-led conviction that should be coming as a result of the preached word. Things like the temperature of the room can be prioritized over the temperature of one's heart. And again, I say it that way because music style, the length of the sermon, and the temperature of the room are important, but they aren't those first-tier issues. They aren't those first-tier considerations. So we might have to allow the Word of God to readjust our thinking, to maybe reorient our heart, even when it comes to church. And again, this is a podcast centered on ministering to our church well. And even in Matthew 13, we can get help with this if we will apply God's plan uh, to help us battle the sin of unbelief. Uh, Again, readdressing verses 51 and 52, it says, "'Have you understood all these things?' And they said to him, "'Yes.' And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. If we understand what a scribe is, it helps us to understand that our Christian life and therefore the church is not necessarily to be individually focused. The scribe wasn't just somebody who kept the records, but he was a teacher. His focus was being responsible for the truths that he received, not just for himself, but for others. Uh, His priority was to be communicating the truth well for other people. So even as we look at this parable, we can see that God 
helps us, God wants us to think not in terms of uh, of being selfish or just being solely individually focused, but to think about other people. If you've understood the parables, you are responsible for that truth. And in that responsibility, you don't just take them in for yourselves, but you take that truth in, these kingdom truths, and be committed to share them with others. God helps us to kind of reorient our priority list, that our priority should be the Lord himself first, others, and and then ourselves. And we see that in, not just in Matthew 13, but Philippians 2 makes it uh, as clear as it could be. This letter that was written to a church says this in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing, right? Do nothing, not just do most things or do some do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also the interests of others look and that's that's not god being harsh that's where the joy is when you serve others when you love others well when you prioritize the worship of God and being a blessing to others, that's where true fulfillment and joy is as you live out God's design. So a common misunderstanding, a common misconception that can lead to unbelief is that church is about me. And in God's economy of grace and faith and the way he works through the church, it's just simply not so. Absolutely. You know, growing up in church, uh, our entire lives you know, we we have uh, observed a lot and been a part of a lot. Here's the big thing that I want to say before we transition to this last question. If the church is to be successful for ministering and being the light of Christ in our communities, in this world, it is so important. It is vital and crucial that we lay aside our personal preferences and comforts for the priority of eternal perspective. That's where we we need to ultimately rest. We're only here for a certain amount of time, uh, a vapor, as it says in Ecclesiastes, and we should make the best use of that time. This is the last one. If understanding is paramount to our success as a Christian in our foundation, growth, and witness, why do some neglect sound doctrine or seek to properly understand? Well, if I haven't spoken uh, simply and, and boldly yet, I'm about to now. Um, the reality is, is because it's hard. It's a, it can be a difficult thing for us to do. And, and many of us, if not most of us, are naturally lazy. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul, writing to Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, likens our handling, right handling of the word of truth as a worker. It takes work to study the, the word. It takes time to understand the word. Now, praise the Lord for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that truly allows us to understand the Scripture, but we can't use the Holy Spirit and His ministry as an excuse not to study. That that call to do your best could be translated to study. Study to present yourself as one who is approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study. We are to spend time in God's Word. Uh, I, I know for me, I kind of 
had this mindset often that we need to get beyond. We need to get beyond kind of this chapter a day keeps Satan away kind of cursory reading of scripture mentality. I thought that way for a long time. We need to be committed and prayerful and prepared to think deeper as we spend time in God's Word, not just reading it and moving on to the next part of our day, but reading it and taking it in, applying it to our our lives as individuals, asking the Holy Spirit, praying that God would illuminate these truths for us, taking a moment to be still and know that He is God and know that we have His Word. There are some that man, are, aren't as committed to sound doctrine as others. And the reality is, is taking it in for ourselves and, and seeking proper understanding when it comes to God's Word uh, can be difficult. It can be hard, and it takes time. And we are just very simply in a, in a busy culture. Often we have to be more intentional than we realize to take time to prioritize God's Word and work in our lives as individuals. So it's something we should be committed to, uh, to our reading of Scripture and personal application of it. Absolutely. I mean, the disciple term itself, when it says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples, it doesn't say go make converts, as you say. Don't go and make people that attend church on Sunday morning make disciples. And what that means is we are to be a learner consistently constantly learn about the things of God to be equipped for every good work. And we certainly want to convey and model by our example in our Christian life the the Christ that is conveyed in Scripture in his totality. For more information about uh, First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee, there is a link to our website in the show notes. Check out previous sermons that we have preached and just plug in and see what we're all about. The second thing is go ahead and hit that follow button or subscribe button. Write us a review. Thank you again for listening to the Rooted by the River podcast. We will see you next time.